Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Elixir 1.14.0 got a new release candidate. It's RC1. There's not a whole lot in this one, as we kind of expect. It's some smaller fixes, but this was announced as the last stop before getting to the official 1.14, which I'm certainly looking forward to. And we're just all encouraged to give it a try, check it out on your projects, and report any problems. I saw a feature in this one that was uh, about supporting a lock file and config file for mix install which I think was targeted towards Livebook. You might have a project on your machine somewhere else, you know, but you're running it through Livebook. So that's that's pretty cool. So that way you can kind of point to those those other local projects without having to like push to a remote source or something. And then also supporting sigils in IEX, like the H function. Do you guys ever use the H function? What is the H function? Help? Yeah, just help. Yep. You just do H like enum dot into or something like that. And that'll give you the docs in your IEX session. Hold on. I swear I've done H for docs before. You're saying that this wasn't supported before? Sigils in H the, in that for that function. Oh, sigils. Yeah. Oh, so you can do you can look up a sigil in uh, okay. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See? So now I can be like, what is this U? Why does why, why do I keep getting U's back? <laughs> I imagine that this will probably release around the time of ElixirConf US, which is just a couple of weeks away. So it'd be pretty cool. That'd be a nice little marker of of time. Elixir 1.14, the new way to debug release at ElixirConf 2022. Next up, we just wanted to put in a plug for a library we noticed called Phoenix Live Storybook. It's a pluggable storybook for your live view components. So over a year ago, we might we mentioned it, but in case you're not aware, Christian Blavier, I don't actually know how to say his name, so please forgive me. The maintainer says a new 0.3.0 release is coming soon. So Live Storybook is a place where you can host your components and you can kind of play with them and develop on them in an environment that's easier to work on. If you're if you're familiar with, you know, like some of the more front-end tools like React and other libraries like that, they're they generally have a storybook library that has been pretty famous in those communities. You know, as new devs are coming on, you can have this whole array of components to show off and you can click on them and use them. And it's just like this nice little book, I guess, <laughs> a library of all of your internal components, you know, and uh, you can like have them in different settings. Like, well, this is what it looks like if you pass this prop in, and this is what it looks like if you pass this other prop in. And, you know, it's like, now I have like code examples and like, I can actually see them and play with them. So it's really cool to see this coming to live view. I remember making a page called a, a like a kitchen sink. That's what I used to call these things, but they were static, right? But you would put all of your designed components on this kitchen sink page that usually didn't get deployed. <laughs> yeah, and that's how you would see them. But yeah, a storybook makes a lot of sense for those interactive kind of components. Yeah, and we have a link to it in the show notes, but there is a public sample where you can play with it and see what it actually looks like. It, it kind of 
reminds me a bit of like Tailwind UI where you just like, here are multiple examples of a badge. And here's the code where you can just copy and paste the one that you want to start with. And it's the Elixir Heeks template code. So you can just easily drop it in and get started with it. I think it's a super helpful tool for large teams where you're coming into a project or you have designers who are actively developing new components. You want to be able to catalog them and just be able to know what's there and what's available. But I also think... If you have a long running project with a small team, like even a single developer, you know, sometimes I know I've done this before. Where in the project was that? Try to find an example of where I built something. So having having a place to put it can be like, oh, yeah, I, I know where to go grab it from. It really helps even one developer be on the same page of just using consistent, like it, we, you know, we, like at work, we have a, an app that's been going for several months now, and we already have five versions of like, a page header, you know, because <laughs> like, there's just no source of truth to say like, this is how you start a new page. I've seen it on Twitter. People talking about the Gmail redesign. There's like five distinct styles of how things are rendered on the same page now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of roasting them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like this fixes that problem, but it gives you an avenue to address it, I guess. All right. Next up, Elixir LS got an update. It is a uh, 0.11. And what this update includes is Elixir.1.14 support. So that's cool. That also increased the minimum version of Elixir LS to Elixir 1.11. So if you've got an older project than that, start considering upgrading. Also, this update includes support for mixed formatter plugins. And a good plugin would be like the HEEX formatter. Uh, so now, now Elixir LS will work with that. So that's cool. This is a good one. When you are typing DO, one of the autocomplete things that would come up first is def overwritable. That's my favorite. I do that all the <laughs> yeah, time. <laughs> Never do. And so now they've got a little extra logic in here that says do is good enough for the word do. <laughs> so like, you know, def module, my app do not def overwritable. Anyway, so a little buggy was uh, fixed there. So that's great. I think that summarizes like my experience with VS code. Anytime I type something, it suggests some really long thing that I never need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do is now preferred over def overridable. So that's, that's reason enough to upgrade to this Elixir LS and convince your entire company to upgrade Elixir to 1.11 <laughs> at the minimum. A couple more things in, in this update. One, one last thing here is um, better module name suggestions for the Phoenix live directory. So before it would like kind of take the folder structure and make those module namespaces. So it'd be like my app dot live dot whatever my view, but that's not how Phoenix generates those module names, right? Instead, it's like my app web or something dot my awesome live or something like that, right? Live is the last part of this. So it just, it was just a little different. Anyway, so the, the name suggestion is, is now a little bit more consistent with the Phoenix generator. So that's pretty cool. I am looking forward to this because recently we talked about the RC0 for 1.14, which had the new debug function. And I wanted to try that out. So I was using ASDF, which is a version manager for lots of different tools, Elixir and Erlang being one of them. And so I got Elixir 1.14 RC0 down and I was compiling it and it was working. And then I was just noticing that some of the things were broken for me. Like I was using VS Code and I could no longer format in my editor. 
And now I saw with this Elixir LS update, like, oh, they added 1.14 support and yay. So I, I haven't had a chance to try it because this landed just recently, but I'm optimistic that this will resolve a lot of those initial problems. But I also just wanted to give a little bit of a follow-up on the debug function. I had a chance to play with it. And I don't have a good answer for this yet. If you, dear listener, know the answer for this, we would love to hear it so we could share it. But if you drop a debug function, like in a live view, a live view is a running process and that pauses the process. And if the process is unresponsive for too long a period, then the system kills it. So it means I have a very little window of time where I can play around with this process while it's paused and then continue and pause and and work with it before it just dies. The same thing would be true if you're trying to debug something in a gen server, for instance. So I don't know the best way to to debug into a process like that. It's been a problem I've had just, you know, playing with debuggers and pry and things like that before. So I don't know if anyone knows of a good solution, please let us know. And next up, Jose Valim was publicly asking for some help recently about enterprise on-premise software contracts. And he shared that the context for his question was, we will be shipping Livebook Enterprise soon. So thought that was cool. That might also be announcement that we might expect at ElixirConf. Spilled the beans early. <laughs> Spoilers. Maybe. Well, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like and, you know, seeing it actually running and understand what it is. So something to look forward to. All right. Earlier, we mentioned a project called Equalizer. E-Q-Lizer. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I want to say it in my head. Michal Mascala pointed us to a research paper that describes the WhatsApp approach to static types in Erlang with that Equalizer project. So if you're interested in white papers and research papers, I don't know if it's the color white, maybe it's pink or blue, whatever color it wants to be. There is a paper to read now about how they accomplish this and what the what the philosophies are uh, behind it. So we got a link to that uh, paper. NX 0.3.0 was released. This release brings further improvements for a bunch of stuff that I don't know how to talk about, including, <laughs> but not, <laughs> including non-finite tensors. It brings def closer to Elixir by supporting case, rays, and Boolean types. We'll drop a link to the tweet in the show notes if you're interested. So on that note, Axon and Axon ONNX 0.2.0 were also released. Includes a brand new compiler and support for optional inputs and more. A lot of improvements are being driven by some of the powerful models that people are hoping to be able to use soon. So we're excited to see some some things going on in that space. And last up, there's a new ElixirConf that was announced. It's ElixirConf UY. This is November 11th and 12th. It's the first ElixirConf to be held in Uruguay in Montevideo. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it, but we have a link to the conference details in the show notes so you can check it out. And that's it for the news. Fly.io supports this podcast by providing editing services. Beyond being great for supporting us, they are a great place to host your next Elixir app. Check them out at fly.io. Today, we're being joined by Wojtek Mock. Wojtek, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's been a while since we've had you with us. A long time, actually. I'm really excited to talk about what you've been working on. You've been working on this live book project, but doing the desktop aspect as well, making it work on Windows, Mac, and Linux. No Linux. <laughs> no Linux. <laughs> no Linux. Oh, geez. No, Linux. Cancel the show. It's not cross-platform. <laughs> oh, no. no. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
Okay, so not Linux. You're 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 hurting me, Muhin. That's my you're hurting my feelings because that, <laughs> that's my desktop of choice. But I'm really excited to talk about how you actually built this because when I think of what I might want to be able to do, it does like does this correlate into something I can do? Can I create desktop web-based apps with my Phoenix projects? And does that make sense? So I'm glad to have you here being the resident expert to help us understand what can we do? How did you do this? What makes sense? So before we get into all that, I'd love to hear more about you. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? Yeah, so um, I'm Wojtek. I live in Kraków, Poland, and I work at Dashbeat, where we are basically doing uh, two things. The first thing is we work with companies, helping them adopt and run Elixir in production. And the second thing we do is we contribute to the open source Elixir ecosystem. So that would be maintaining or contributing to projects like Livebook recently or the greater machine learning ecosystem. Also things like Broadway, Phoenix, Ecto, XDoc, Elixir itself, and then other things. So it's been, it's been a little bit, and I, I don't remember, because as I joined the Elixir community, you've kind of always been there. But I'm, I'm curious, and I'm sorry if you're rehashing this a little bit uh, from our last episode, but how long have you been using Elixir, and, and what, what kind of languages were you using before? It would come to no surprise that I was using Ruby before. So I started looking into Elixir, I believe, in 2014 or 15, but it was really in 2016 where I, um, I I basically like really tried to learn it and then uh, landed my uh, first job. And then in 2016, I also joined the Hex uh, team and I've been there ever since trying to keep the packages running. And those first two years were pretty, you know, pretty well new, you know, like no one knew about it. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cool. And uh, you said 2016. So that would have been like six years of being on the uh, Hex team. So that's a, that's a long lifetime in an in Elixir world. That's, that's pretty great. I, I know it's not on the agenda too, but you said that you, you contribute and being part of Dashbit, this makes a lot of sense to a lot of the ecosystem. And one of those is Ecto. So I just got to throw out a quick thanks to you for helping talk through at least a, a little bit of the process, thinking through a little bit of the Ecto problem that I, I came up with not too long ago. Just recently got something merged into Ecto SQL, so that's pretty cool. Uh, this is the whole advisory lock. I've talked about it in other episodes, but uh, I appreciate you, your hand in there and just helping me understand what the next steps were to take there. So uh, it helped get things done. And so like contribution doesn't necessarily mean code, PRs, you know, just means talking too. And that was a, that was a good help. So thanks for that. Thank you, David. Um, I think uh, the... Um like recently the advice advisory lock PR was was really good but like even before I think the safe migrations series of posts and uh, deployments and stuff like that like this is really important the really really useful stuff and I, I couldn't agree more I think code contributions are really important but like documentation and kind of guides how to like what to do with all of that code is uh, maybe as as important too I got to replug the safe ecto migrations, which uh, Wojtek was just talking about there, because that was David, you wrote that guide that we put on the fly.io blog. I got a link to that in the show notes. Just this week, I was working on a migration and I was like, how do I do this? I know it's in that in that migrations guide. I'll just go look it up there. And I did. I, I just found the snippet I needed. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's what it looks like. And 
I just want to put that out there and remind people that this resource is there for the community, Safe Ecto Migrations. David spent a lot of time on it. It's a great resource. And aren't you talking about that in more detail in some way? I, I, okay, yeah, this this is the Voitech episode, I promise. But um, <laughs> but but yeah, if those who are going to ElixirConf US in Colorado here in about a month as time of recording, be sure to check out the talk, Acto in Production. We're going to be talking about migrations. I won't be rehashing all of the stuff that's in the written material because it's probably better to be written for exactly that use case, Mark. Like, it's just that snippet you need. But I will be exploring like, you know, some of the common problems. I'm going to talk a lot about like the humanity side of it and also data migrations. That's like a scary thing for a lot of folks, data migrations. I understand why. So I'm going to try to make it less scary for folks. So, uh, all right. So the topic of Ecto and production, we'll, we'll shelve that. But for the everyone that's listening, just just know, stay tuned. Ecto and production, that's not a one and done kind of article thing. And and conference talk, apparently, that there, there's also going to be some continued resources coming out on that. I'm going to try not to be a one hit wonder with this. <laughs> <laughs> we want to jump back into this live book desktop feature that you've been working on. And so recently we talked with Steve Bussey about using a remotely hosted live view in a Google Chrome extension. We've also talked in the past about things like Burrito, where you can wrap up Elixir into like more of a portable binary that can go to different platforms. And so now we want to come back and say, what does any of this have to do with Livebook and the desktop? Is there any connection here? But also the trend I'm seeing here is that we're pushing Elixir applications into areas that aren't the traditional one you think of. Like the traditional thing we think of with Phoenix is a web app. And now we're talking about putting that in a Chrome extension. And now we're talking about running it as a desktop app. So maybe you can take us from there and and talk about what actually is this desktop app. If someone installs this, what do they see? So Livebook Desktop, it is a little bit of a misnomer because, you know, it's not about desktops. You can use it on laptops as well, obviously. But basically, the idea is that it's a distribution of Livebook. It's a distribution. It's like packaged up Livebook that you can run directly on your on your operating system. So we support macOS and, and Windows. We can talk about the Linux maybe later on. But the idea is that you go to the Livebook website and you down, download one file uh, for your particular operating system. And that's basically it. Like this should contain everything that you need to run Livebook. So on a Mac, that would be a, a .dmg file. So that's disk image. Like It's a common way to install Mac apps. And then on Windows, that would be an installer. But basically after installing Livebook desktop and starting it, we would open up your browser window and then again, we can talk about the browser. I think that might be a topic of interest. But we would open up browser window pointed to locally running Livebook server. And then in, inside your browser, you can just use Livebook. So you can execute code and, and all of that. Livebook desktop also ships with already pre-installed hex and rebar. So you can just mix install dependencies as you would. And, and, and again, uh, our idea is that our goal is to have this really nice user experience that you just download this file, install it, and you're good to go. And this is maybe as opposed to what, like the hoops that you otherwise would have to go through. So for example, like if you would install Livebook on a, on a Mac without this. So first, how do you, how do you get Elixir? Oh, so maybe you using Homebrew, Brew install Elixir. 
But then like, okay, so how do you get homebrew? Oh, so you need to install. Oh, but before you actually need Xcode command line utilities. And then there are like other, uh, like other stuff that uh, like, oh, you actually need OpenSSL for Elixir and maybe WX widgets. And then, oh, maybe you installed brew. You did a brew install for Erlang, but it was the wrong version of Erlang for the version of Elixir you got. Yeah, or or you know, or like you brew update uh, or upgrade. I never remember. And then like it updated a bunch of stuff. So like it updated your OpenSSL, but like oh, this new version doesn't work with Erlang, for example. Um, so like removing all of that pain with Livebook Desktop, we ship Livebook, Elixir, OTP, OpenSSL, WX widgets, known versions. The like we guarantee that they work with each other, and basically. If they don't, that's a bug that we're going to fix. And, and the idea is that you can install Livebook on a brand new operating system, you know, blank slate, nothing installed. It should work. If it doesn't, that's a bug that we're going to fix. So you implemented containers. <laughs> um, no. Uh. <laughs> I just want to clarify something here, too, because it's like when you say Livebook desktop, what I envisioned was like a GUI. Right. But what you're actually describing here is like you guys packaged up all of the things you need to run the server so that the amount of effort you need to get this up and running as a server is really easy. Someone who's not even in the Elixir ecosystem can run the server really easily, but you're still accessing the server as you normally would, like through localhost port 4000 or whatever. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, Livebook Desktop is basically a super easy way to run the Livebook server and that you can access it. Maybe it's worth mentioning like a pretty similar project, which is Elixir Desktop by Dominic Letts. I think he was a couple of times on the on the show. And uh, this is very similar in that Elixir Desktop application would have that GUI, which is basically a browser pointed to the server, which is kind of like behind the scenes. Like you don't, I, I mean, if you know what Elixir Desktop is, you know the server is behind behind it but uh kind of like if, if users just look uh, look at it like there's there's no server so this, this is very very similar similar there are other tools in that space so electron is a pretty popular one i can kind of go into details why we chose what we chose why we didn't go into these other tools but yeah uh yeah it's it's running livebook server as you would you know if you if you would install livebook as a docker container or if you would uh, install Livebook as a script, the other two ways. So I think one extra thing that's special about what you've got is that it will show up on your like application launcher or your OS toolbar that says, hey, here's something that's running. And is that so it gives you an easy way to like shut it down? Exactly. Uh, that's, that's exactly it. That's so that you can see it is running and you can shut it down. Uh, there is also a way to open up that browser window from the from the icon. Yeah, it's the cl- cross-platform stuff that we might get into. But like, so so on some operating system, that's called a menu bar app, system tray, toolbar. It reminds me of if you've ever installed the Postgres Mac app, back when you're just like trying to play with it, you download a binary, you turn it on, it puts a little, like on OS X, at least it just puts a little toolbar in the top. It's like, there's no GUI or anything. It's just like, hey, Postgres server is now running and you can connect to it. And then you can like click a button to kill it and close it. And and that's what you have here. So that makes sense. Throwing back a little bit more, it's the LAMP stack. 
right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotta gotta start that MySQL up. That's exactly it. And it's it's actually funny that you mentioned Lamp stack, David, because like so so I I mentioned earlier that I was um, before Elixir I was using Ruby, but I think I'm allowed to say back in the day. Back in the day, I was doing PHP on the LAMP stack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> LAMP stack with a W for Windows. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if there is one thing about that stack is that was that it was really, really easy to install. You just installed it and it basically just worked. And I think that's, that's, what, what, that what, that's what we are trying to do with Livebook as well. You just, you just install it and it just works. Another thing I miss about the LAMP stack was uh, WSFTP Lite. Connecting to my FTP server and drag and dropping my uh, non-get tracked <laughs> files up to the server. <laughs> Nothing gets more simple than that. Now it's it's Docker and Kubernetes and GitHub or whatever you want to you want to do. All right, so so there's there's another tool I want to disambiguate from. So like we've talked about Elixir Desktop, we're trying to talk about LiveBook Desktop, but there's also like burrito here and outside the elixir system there's you know we've mentioned electron already it feels like there's a lot of things in the space that are that's that's doing a little a little similar thing here did did burrito have a role in in this at all uh, definitely i think this is uh, definitely in the same space like what we are doing with livebook desktop and what burrito uh, does i think the major difference is that burrito is really geared towards command line applications with the work for for livebook desktop I, I would say there are two, um, maybe worth um, kind of splitting it into two di- distinct parts. Uh, the, the first part is like like actually the Livebook desktop app. So that's the little bit of GUI on the system tray. But then there is also the like kind of packaging this app. We actually, from the very beginning, kept that as a distinct part. We originally called it App Builder. Our goal was to, you know, like make it easy to build apps. But that turned out to be really hard. So we kind of cut the scope <laughs> and now we call it App Bundler. So it's just about bundling them. A very small distinction, but th- these are distinct parts. App Bundler is about, yeah, like building that. So, so maybe um, I, I think it's it's pretty useful to kind of maybe compare this and, and Burrito. So App Bundler and Burrito. The parts that bund- App Bundler has that Burrito doesn't because it doesn't need to are really about that desktop integration. So for example, we have, let's let's call it like proper operating system applications, GUI apps. So they have icons, like that's not a concern for command line utilities. So they have icons, they have tighter integration with the operating system. So for example, a live book, uh, you can export your notebooks into .livemd files. You can have them on the file system. With Livebook Desktop, we uh, handle those files, handle those extensions. So there's a nice icon for them. If you double click uh, on them in the file explore, explorer, we would open them in the Livebook Desktop that you that you installed. So, um, so I would say it was uh, it it was that more uh, geared towards that tighter desktop integration. Currently, we don't really uh, yeah we don't share any code. There is uh, there is some overlap. Uh, my hope is to figure out like exactly what that overlap is and uh, maybe have some kind of shared underlying thing. And I, I imagine that uh, Elixir desktop has some of that GUI focused, you know, stuff too. So if, if this does end up getting like uh, sep- that the scope increases again, <laughs> separates <laughs> out into a, an app bundler, you know, away, f- away from live book specific stuff, you could call it taco. <laughs> 
or cheese cheese dip. I actually just got the joke why it's called burrito. I get that you're like wrapping stuff up, but in the description it says a beam burrito, and then it clicked why they've named it burrito. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was actually thinking about this the other day. So burrito does have a little bit of a runtime, uh, kind of like helping you run the uh, command line application. With App Bundler, there is just a tiny bit of that, but it's it's really about packaging. So if anything, maybe this bundle should be called Tortilla. Tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I suddenly became v- very hungry. Yeah. So you've got, <laughs> yeah. you've got the hardest part of the project figured out. So that's good. Yeah. Thanks, thanks Quinn and Digit, for the, the thought train of food. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> Well, so I'm curious, like if we if we can get into like how does it work? What how what did you do to to package this up? And and it's it's not using burrito like we talked about, but what what is it using that gets such tight integration with the different operating systems? So different operating systems would have a different way to have that tight integration. So I can start about talking about Mac uh, and then maybe Windows. It is pretty interesting how how the applications look on a Mac, like just in the GUI, it you know it's like a it's just an app. But under the hood, it's actually a directory with a, a .app extension. And then inside there is like, a, the, the, uh, the, there are conventions uh, around like how you lay, lay that out. So we basically follow these layouts. App Bundler is bundling your, your application into, to, to fit into that kind of, that schema. Uh, and importantly, we need to uh, include OTP along with your apps so that you have everything that you need. So, so for example, on a, on a Mac, I would say there are maybe kind of three things. The first thing is like the um, each application, each dot app would have a launcher. That's the executable that actually starts to run stuff. So for us, it is actually a Swift based launcher. Uh, and I can talk about why we need these launchers. That, that's a program that actually starts whatever your app needs to do. On a Mac, there's also a info.plist, uh, a property list. So that's kind of like the description of your app. And this is where you can have that tight in- integration of the operating system. So for example, in that plist, you could say, you know, stuff like what's the name of the app, what's the version, things like that. But importantly, also that like, oh, this application is supporting these particular uh, custom file extensions, and these are the icons for them. Or this application is supporting these custom URL schemes. So uh, you, you might see in, uh, there's something like, you know, Slack, uh, colon, slash, 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 custom URLs. So 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 this is how, how you do that on a Mac, to have that uh, info plist in an app. So that's the launcher, the info plist, and then there's like kind of everything else. So with Livebook Desktop or with like any app bundle based, we would have uh, a release uh, of your, so that, that would be like an Elixir release of your mixed project that we include into that app. And then on Windows, this is pretty similar. Instead of a Swift launcher, we actually have Visual Basic. Could be C Sharp as well, doesn't, doesn't really matter. There is no info plist. So this is where for Windows, it is important that we have that uh, setup wizard because the, the installation wizard would also do the custom file extension, custom URL scheme handling, uh, and it does it by writing things to the Windows registry. So a bundler, you, you use it as an extension to Elixir releases. It's a step 
so w- when you have uh, Elixir releases, you can have uh, like steps before or after assembling the release. So that would be after assembling the release, you call a function from Bundler and it kind of takes it from there. It takes your release and then packages it up. It works on, on Windows and on, on Mac. And then kind of importantly in that in Mix, we also have this declarative way of configuring your app. So there we have a keyboard lists of configurations for again, these URL schemes and document types, file types, icons and stuff. Then off of this kind of singular shape of configuration, we would do appropriate things per target operating system. I didn't realize that you guys had to go as far as creating like Swift code for creating some of that binding to the OS. It's quite a bit more involved than I originally imagined, I guess. Yeah, so uh, we didn't have to. So this launcher, this like application launcher can even be a bash script. Doesn't doesn't matter. It, it can be like a proper native executable, but can be bash script. We ended up with Swift for a very particular reason. We wanted to have, if something went wrong with starting Livebook, like, I don't know, there was, there's just something wrong with your system and Beam cannot, uh, cannot be started. We wanted to have some error handling. So if you cannot start the release, there, there will be a, a, like an error dialogue saying that like, oh, you know, something went wrong. This is, you should log into logs. So, so yeah, that, that was the reason. I, I imagine there's an SDK in Swift available and not in Bash or Zush or whatever the default one is there on Mac nowadays. Yes, I called it Zush. That's how I say it. Zush. <laughs> Z-H. Z-S-H. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that we could get away with writing everything in Bash, but like as this gets more complicated, uh, more kind of standard programming language uh, was just a better fit. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I totally get it. And for Livebook, you know, your the audience is a little bit different than developers, right? It's data researchers, it's uh, note takers, it's folks like that. Yeah, I did want to talk a little bit about who the audience is, because up at the beginning of the show, you were talking about how this solves a lot of these common problems that people have trying to get their environment set up. And they can just skip all of that and jump right into something that's up and running a server, and I can start playing with Livebook. Obviously, that's not necessarily, it wasn't created to help me as a developer who's already working with Elixir. So who is this intended to help? Yeah, that's a very good question. We think that, again, like as, as I mentioned before, there, there are like, there is friction in getting your environment set up. And so our goal was to remove that friction. So I, I would say that the target audience is like maybe even people not, you know, that haven't used Elixir before. I dare to say maybe even didn't, you know, didn't program before. Like we are, we are definitely way off that. Uh, th- there is a lot of things that we can do for, you know, Elixir to be like the first programming language. But I mean, I am pretty biased, but I will say that Livebook desktop is already, I, I would hope it is pretty compelling for someone that didn't, that maybe is, is just starting because we have the editor, we have the runtime. Uh, there is, you know, like autocomplete popovers, you know, with some documentation. There, there is a lot of stuff already. Yeah, I could see this being a tool that boot camps could use, like early stage, introducing someone to Elixir. And because you got the, the notebooks where you can go through and learn some basic concepts and play with it. There's a lot of potential there. In addition to the traditional people who are focusing on machine learning and working with NX and stuff like that. You know, the reason why it was originally created. (laughs) 
Uh, Alex Kufmos, I think, is writing a book using a live book. I, I suspect that's partly the reason why there there keeps on being contributions. <laughs> His like Benchy and and uh, what was the other one? The Process Tree, I think. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I I would say that that would be the tar- target audience people that maybe would need extra help getting everything set up. So yeah, we, we support Windows and Mac. We notably don't support Linux. And uh, kind of uh, our thinking was Linux users tend to be a little bit more advanced, uh, I think, on average. I'm blushing. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Advanced in taking the pain (laughs) of, uh, you know, all of these problems. They, you know, it's a A high tolerance of pain. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Never thought of it that way, but that's true. No, but I I do want to point out, like, Linux is a, a challenge because there are so many different desktop environments that you could say, well, this is an Ubuntu or Mate or KDE or Gnome. You know, there's all these He's different... speaking Chinese now. Yeah, but it's all these different environments where I can say, yeah, I want to run... I want to have like a couple of them installed and choose to do whichever one I want for whatever purpose. But yeah, like if you're trying to put widgets that show up in the right spot, it would just be a lot of pain. And yeah, you're. you're I think you're right that the people who are already on Linux probably aren't the target audience for who needs that extra help. Exactly what you said, like there is that huge variety of options. That would be a pretty big technical challenge to uh, also to, I think, support all of these different options or, you know, just to be clear, uh, even though it is not, it is not uh, at the moment on our roadmap, if someone would really like to have live book on Linux, uh, by all means, we would, we would love to have a conversation and definitely accept contributions. So I don't use Linux, so I, I don't really uh, know much about this stuff. But from what I know, there are some kind of solutions for in that space. So Flatpak and App Images, I believe, are these ways to have these kind of distribution agnostic ways of packaging up. So you know, if something like that, if someone would be interested in trying that out for Livebook, we would love to, to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, those, those are probably the best bets because that helps package up all your dependencies too, and you can never never rely on like Debian stuff is like super old arch stuff will be super new <laughs> so you should, like, you'll get that open ssl stuff uh screwing up your erlang installations and, and and junk so anyway yeah those are good bets one more comment about uh, about linux and then maybe we can move on because all five of our linux listeners <laughs> probably don't need all this airtime but there are like uh attempts to make linux stuff more universal so like xdg right there's a standard on how to communicate where you know config files live for example or how mime types are handled so like not it's probably not worth looking into but there 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 are researchers on linux there's some of them out there Uh, maybe there's something we can do but you're totally right contributions they're advanced researchers (laughs) uh there's probably probably some contributions that uh, folks can make like myself and mark I kind of feel like there's a there's a separate audience too of like like I could definitely get clone the repo and run it locally, but I would rather use the desktop client because then I don't have to worry about it conflicting with different versions of Elixir, and I don't have to worry about like CDing into it. I can just type open the app and then I have it running, and I'm more like I'm I personally am more likely to run Livebook now that it's so easy to run. It was easy before because I just ran it in a container, but it's just way easy now. 
All right. Don't don't want to leave out, you know, the other easiest way of using Livebook, which is on a cloud service, right? They, they've made a pretty good effort to make that a, a couple click process and being done. Right? It's not on your computer, but hey, that's not too bad. I do want to come back to Windows because we have been talking in the Elixir community recently and with OTP advancements that targeting Windows to make it a better experience for Elixir developers has been a focus. And I appreciate that because that does represent a whole host of potential developers who may come to Elixir from that path. What was this like getting this working on? You know, you, you talked a little bit about how it worked with Mac. Was this challenging, easier? Like, what was it like for doing it on Windows and making that be a good experience? It, it was challenging for sure. Again, there are like two parts to it, which is the bundling and then there is the application itself. And like all of these different pieces have are like per OS. So, I mean, there is a, <laughs> there is a ton of stuff that I can, that I, I, I can probably name like a lot of like particular pain points, but it, it, it was challenging for sure. And maybe it was just that like me personally, I, I just didn't have that. The tool set, I didn't have that experience working on that stuff. So maybe it wasn't that challenging, but it was interesting that like there is the, uh, like the GUI installer, uh, like uh, the, there is a project called, called NSYS, NSIS, uh, which is kind of like a builder. It, it, it has own like a, like a programming language to build the installer. So you needed to learn that and like all of the, like some of the, some of the quirks, where to install stuff, how to like write to registry. So that was, you know, that was something that I needed to learn. Uh, so I, I didn't really speak much about like like the Livebook desktop, the app itself. So what we use is WX widgets, which comes with OTP. Like the idea is that this is a library set of APIs that like one set of APIs that then works on these these different operating systems. Don't get me wrong. This is like WX widgets was super useful because you know we we could really get get started. But it's like, you know, getting the 80% done was super, super, uh, super easy. But getting the last 20% done was was very challenging. And what I would say about that is, maybe this is specific to WX widgets on, Win, uh, uh, on OTP, but I would say that these cross-platform toolkits, they are great, but I feel like there, there is always going to be a need to kind of jump down to, to the metal, so to speak, to, to fix like a particular issue, do this particular thing. And with WX widgets on OTP, this is in particular hard because, so one, it ships with OTP, so it's not an external library. So you cannot like easily, you know, use a different version. Uh, you kind of have to build your own OTP. Then it's Erlang bindings to, to this WX widget. So there is that like extra layer of, of abstraction. So now if you need to hunt a bug, it could be, you know, in your code, it could be in OTP Erlang bindings. It could be in WX widgets itself. And I have hit all of those, <laughs> all, of, all of those layers. An interesting thing. You, you said NSIS is the installer script for the Windows side of things. And I just want to I just want to throw back for folks the N in NISIS it stands for Nullsoft, and Nullsoft is the creator of Winamp. Winamp <laughs> was the reason why we have a universal Windows installers now. So that's pretty cool. It really uh, you know whips the llamas. But and Winamp recently came out with a new version. So there <laughs> still, you go. Still still kick it. <laughs> 
so so we know that Windows can be challenging sometimes, but we also just talked about how Linux can be challenging. Did you have you like in your research have you found any like weird things about Linux? To be completely honest, I didn't do a ton of research, but uh, from what I was uh, talking to people, like even getting OTP itself to be like you know one. Uh, like OTP build or artifact or whatever to be to be working on different Linux Linuxes doesn't it's not easy. There are like these runtime dependencies, so so that would be a challenge. Hopefully that uh, again these flat packs or app images are solving that problem. But that was definitely why I didn't necessarily look into that much. Let's say that maybe the next year is gonna be the year of the livebook Linux desktop. <laughs> <laughs> the year of the Linux desktop live book. I don't know how the, how it goes. Yeah, uh, I would I would love it. I'd love it for it to be the the year of the live book desktop. That would be awesome. That because that would mean people were using Elixir all over the place. While we do have you here, you have a lot of insight into what's going on in the live book project and community. I would love to just maybe if you could mention a few of these high points that you you've been seeing because I know we we mentioned some of these in the news regularly. So like, what are some of the cool things that you're seeing and that you're aware of that are happening there? You mentioned some of the stuff that Alex Kutmos is doing, the uh, process supervision trees, visualization, and then more recently, the kind of more direct support for the Benchy, uh, benchmarking library. I think this is, this is just really, uh, really fantastic. Like the way I kind of look at it is that Livebook is this place, this kind of maybe like a canvas where... Uh, you can, I don't know, like put stuff onto, you know, that like, if you just want to build like a cool utility or, or, or a tool, you don't have to like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, it's a place where you can, uh, like, you don't have to build the whole thing for your tool. Like it kind of, it, you can put into Livebook. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's kind of like, uh, it's this platform where you can, that, that you can develop on. Uh, so, so there are two things that I wanted to, I, I'll be remiss not to mention about Livebook. So one thing was uh, using Livebook with uh, a lot of data and uh, data visualization. We have a, a fantastic screencast by Hugo on the Livebook website about using Google BigQuery and uh, then MapLibre for visualization. So this is like when, when I saw, so, so like I, I knew that stuff was happening, but like actually seeing it on a screenca- screencast was, was really good. And it, it was really seamless to build that. So I think this really speaks to the power of the platform. And, and then just recently, there, there is uh, something that, that I've been working on uh, that's maybe worth mentioning. So with Livebooks, we tend to work on like a, on, on this notebook, which is kind of like a, like its own thing. But a lot of people have their own applications and a lot of people actually want to use Livebook somehow with their own applications. So we have been uh, thinking about that and doing uh, some work in that area. There is an open PR, uh, I'm going to send a link, that adds a couple of options to the mix install function to help well, it's about mix install, but a very nice use case of mix install is in, uh, inside Livebook. But basically, uh, the idea is that you can, in your Livebook, you can mix install your project, uh, let's say your Phoenix app, as a uh, path. So it's gonna it's gonna bring it up into into the runtime. It's gonna compile all of the code, get all of the depths, start them. The new options that we are adding to mix install is a path to configuration and the path to the log file. 
So with these two things, you can basically we think you, you that that you that we can reproduce the environment of your of your application in scripts with mix install or in uh, or in livebook. So th- this is like the main use case to be able to start your own project in an environment where you would use mix install. And then there is like a second use case which is for reproducing bugs. Let's say, you know, there is a bug with a library. To actually reproduce it, you need uh, these particular versions of dependencies and maybe this kind of compile time conf- configuration. Well, you now can specify that. You can give a log file, so that would have all of the versions of dependencies, and you can, can give a config. And then if you, you know, if you report a bug with these things, then it's super easy for maintainers to reproduce because you know, because as maintainers, you have everything that you need. And I've actually uh, have seen a couple of bug reports to things like Phoenix or Ecto, uh, where people were submitting bug reports with mix install script. And it was just, it was just the best because yeah, I just copy paste, uh, copy paste this run. Oh, I can see the bug. It's very easy to, to, to fix the bug then. Enjoying the fruits of your labor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you're describing how you can run mix install with uh, your own project, right? And I'm thinking of being able to use that with Livebook. The picture I get in my head is where I can run my own like Phoenix app locally. I can run it with IEX. Then I have an IEX shell locally. And it sounds like you're saying, oh, I can run Livebook as my shell kind of into my running app but it's actually running my app instead of like connecting, like what we could do previously is we could connect to a running application, but this is actually more of it's launching my app. Yeah, exactly. I would say this is still pretty maybe unexplored territory, but starting the web server from Livebook is totally possible. It it actually blows my mind that it works, but like, I I don't see why it wouldn't, right? But it it still blows my mind a little bit that you can totally in your uh, cells, you can just, you know, just start web servers, you know, start, I don't know, probably start RabbitMQ and all of that. And it's, you know, it just works. It's just, it's just processes. That sounds very interesting. And it sounds like it's something that's being explored. It's not there yet. So, you know, you dear listener, you can, you can sit back down, you know, you can't, ha- can't have that toy yet. But uh, that, that sounds really cool. So Wojtek, another thing I've seen you work on for a while now is the REC library, R-E-Q, for making web requests. And it seemed like a lot of the recent changes that you were making to the API and everything were all around making it a better experience for live book and to be used in live book cells. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that, that was definitely part of it. I would say that prior to this work for the release, I, I was still kind of like exploring the API, like what would be it? And I think I got it with the 0.3 release. Uh, so in that release, it is now easier to build up a rec tract and kind of like le- le- like maybe, so you mentioned Livebook, so uh, so that, that that's a good place. Maybe I would, at the beginning of a Livebook, uh, I would build up my rec struct kind of configure it like so maybe oh like i want to maybe have this retry policy i want to maybe use these plugins that, that that's kind of like another thing in the in the release uh, and then i can use that struct to make a bunch of different requests yeah in in the live book but um 
I'm, I'm really cu- curious to, to, to hear feedback about, uh, about REC. Well, Wojtek, we are about out of time, but I know people are going to want to learn more about this. And people might have ideas about how they can perhaps apply some of these same ideas for running a server, their own server, as, a, as an easier desktop integrated kind of thing like you've done here. You have included some links to some code as part of the project that highlight different pieces. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Uh, is there any other resources you would point people to if they were wanting to learn how to do this on their own? Yeah, so currently the app bundler is part of the Livebook project. It's literally in the same code base. As we keep working on it, the plan is to extract that out into a separate project, at which point it would have its own documentation and and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, at the, at the moment there, there isn't really uh, any any docs. It's kind of, we consider it as a kind of internal project uh, for now, but eventually there will be. At the moment you have to look into the code uh, kind of speaking generally, uh, I, I would say that this is uh, the whole kind of GUI apps with Elixir. This is a, a, a very exciting area uh, of focus because, uh, yeah, b- besides Elixir desktop, Scenic to some extent, although from like a different angle, I would say, and, and then Burrito, like besides these projects, there I, I don't think there are many others. It, it, it is very interesting. But at the same time, it is pretty challenging with the cross-platform GUI stuff. So I think what we what we currently have is enough uh, for Livebook. Like we specifically wanted to keep the GUI fr- footprint as small as possible. Like it's it's literally just a system tray icon for now. But like obviously to have like a full story, you need so much more. I, I think there there needs to be a ton of more work and research. Uh, done in that area uh, that I, I, I'm pretty interested in, uh, and if someone else is interested, uh, you can you can definitely contact me about that. Well, cool. Well, if people do want to get in touch with you or follow you online just to see what else you're discovering and, and inventing, where should they go to do that? I would say the best place is uh, on Twitter. I have my DMs open, so you can you can reach me. It's Wojtek Mach. It's the same on GitHub and Elixir Forum and Slack and stuff. Happy to talk to people. Well, thank you, Wojtek. Super happy to talk with you again. And I really do appreciate all the work that you're doing in the Elixir community, that you're active and contributing and doing things that are like like this. You're spending your time. Yes, you are paid for it too, but I appreciate what you're doing to make things like Livebook more accessible, to make it easier for people to use, to get started with Elixir, to have a better experience so they can start easily downloading those notebooks and getting to play with it getting the taste for it to say, yes, this is something that is worth me figuring out how to get the whole install so I can have my own local development going. But I think this project is really valuable in helping to make that a reality. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir. (laughs) 